Hey everyone, this is Albert from the editing room of the Omniplex. I just wanted to put a little timestamp on this episode. When we recorded this one, it was October 16th, 2022, and it is now March 2023. Each of us has had major life events happen in the last five months since this cast was recorded that has prevented us from recording or releasing. Uh, some of that is still ongoing, but we want you to know that we are still here and plan on recording more in the near future. The Omniplex is always open, and we appreciate y'all hanging in there with us. Hope you're safe and well, and please enjoy this episode of Recommendations from October. And while I'm here, I may as well tell you that this episode contains some swears and general adult content, and therefore, listener discretion is advised. Like skin, pray for evenings in. Hold their hands in the street when you walk them off to school. A box too full to shut, cardboard paper cut, the bleeding edge of a picture of your parents when they were cool. So much to say, I forget to start. There goes the day fading as it passes. Forget the gray, let it fall apart. It's okay. I like you in glasses. Shovels in the sand. Play-doh-winning band. Okay. Anyway. So, I don't have a, a hard and fast list for this one, but I do have a few things. I'll probably be making it as we go. I've got a couple of good ones. What was the last date that we recorded that we recorded one of these on? Well, let me see here. Okay, let me jump into Craig's uh, thing. Or actually, I don't even need to do that. I can look at files. Or, you know, just scroll up because it's looking like the last time we did one of these COVID casts was in, uh, was in July. Okay, so. then I know exactly what I'm going to talk about. Ooh, I got a few good oh, wow, ones I okay. really want to talk about. Okay. All right. Cool. All right. So, hey, everyone. Welcome to the Omniplex. We're your host. Yes. Hello. Oh, hi, everybody. Oh, hi, Mark. Yes. I was going more for Dr. Nick. Oh, hi, everybody. Yes, that hi, one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the room has forever superseded yep. <laughs> any any uh, greetings starting with hi. <laughs> Which is amazing, because that's The Simpsons <laughs> that it superseded. Yeah, it's real weird, because The Simpsons is eternal. Yeah, we're we're back again with another, another COVID cast, because this thing is still fucking going. Despite what the government has decided to tell us. We're back on our bullshit, people. <laughs> <laughs> the pandemic is still going on. Please still wear your fucking masks. Please get the booster shots. You know, it's not going away. I, I don't know how many times we're going to have to say this, but for as long as this is still a thing, we are still going to do COVID casts. We will. We will. And the sad, the sad part is that we're going to have to keep doing this forever because that's how it's looking. But you know what? 
I like doing these because these are actually kind of a rare chance that we've had to actually talk about current movies. We don't get to do that very often. And it's fun. It's fun. It's fun. Uh, it actually lets us get to some classics, which I'm going to be hitting on three major classics that I saw in the theater when I get to my section. Um, but it lets us hit on, it lets us get some random stuff and it lets us really cover the state of the art. So I hate it, but this is the one side effect that I like. So, all right. Get your booster, wear your mask. Get your booster, wear your mask, damn it. It's that simple. And with that said, on with the show, because we're actually rolling a little bit early today. That's kind of cool. Oh, Zephyr, you want to start us off? Yeah, you're uh, a good list. I, I most certainly do have a list. Though I will say real quick, <laughs> the, um, the one thing that we all three watched, I want to save that for when I do my section, because we can all do it at kind of a closing. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Yes. All right. Yeah. Okay, so... Starting off with some absolute trash, let's go with North. <laughs> it's really that bad, people. It's, it's really... It, uh, of, the, of the Elijah Wood trilogy of like movies based on books, it's the worst. It's based on a book? It's based yes. on a book that... It's based on a book that, believe it or not, it had the same screenwriter as the... The writer of the book wrote the adaptation, and he absolutely threw his book completely away in favor of everything because the book is pretty good is but, it really yes oh wow but but the book is nowhere near as racist it's actually smarter it's actually funnier oh it's not all a goddamn dream boy that kid's a racist shit if that's all a dream yeah it was absolutely painful to sit through even though i fully knew what i was getting into because I mean, we're all familiar with the infamous Ebert quote about North. Yes, we are. And if y'all have never seen that episode, it is on YouTube. I cannot recommend it enough. Mm. Um, it is, we'll slip um, it in. <laughs> also worth watching for their review of It Could Happen to You, because it's a really lovely review where you get to see them excited about a movie. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. No, North is an atrocity. Yeah, ab absolutely bad. And I like, saw it in the theater. Oh. <laughs> Wasn't happy. <laughs> Dang. Uh, you know, it's okay, because the next time that Wood did a movie based on a major book, it would be a little bit better. Some the uh, the short people movie, whatever that was. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. oh. Yeah, those are a little bit better. One we still have yet to cover, and I still have your copy, Austin, <laughs> to send you. I just haven't done it yet. Yeah. Oh, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. No, I was, well, I was talking about Lord of the Rings. Oh! Yeah, yeah he's not in Tiptoes. Okay, no. that's true. No, that's true. no. That's true. Oh, my God, why did my head go there? <laughs> okay, let's, well, because we still do need to cover that soon. Yeah, we God. should. God damn it. Okay, fine, fine, sure, sure. Okay. Let's hear what else you've watched, because it's probably going to scare us. Leonard Part 6. Yep. Oh, fun. Okay. Monster aside, Bill Cosby cannot... He does not translate to a theatrical screen at no. all. No, it's he, not. Like, between this and whatever the fuck was going on with Jack. Y'all remember Jack, right? And Ghost Dad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he is not a good person to put on the big screen. No. Nor was 
I mean, this film is just absolute fucking garbage. Like, uh, how, how do I put this? Uh, not a single joke lands. Yeah. And it's his script, so I don't know why he was so mad at the movie. It's bad. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Pinocchio. Yes, the Disney remake. I remember their trailers released pretty much simultaneously, and uh, one right after the other. And after Guillermo del Toro's version, uh, you know, I saw that like, oh no, I'm gonna wait for this one. I'm good, Disney. Thank you. I'm just gonna ask, why on earth, when del Toro, one of the certified geniuses of modern cinema, is doing anything, do you try to go in behind him? That's that's not a smart decision. Like, okay, we're still very much in the midst of Disney trying to remake most of their animated catalog, for better or worse. And this is definitely in the worst cat, on the worst side of things. I think that I think the only one of those that I've liked is Cinderella, and it's because Cinderella isn't a particularly great story anyway. So having Kate Blanchett ham it up. And having uh, Helena Bonham Carter really have a lot of fun as the fairy godmother. And also, bizarrely enough, having a really good romance between the two leads actually really made me like it. But then again, it was Kenneth Branagh in a rare moment where he was doing a commercial film and he actually knew what the hell he was doing. So um, it's pretty good, actually. Yeah. Yeah, this uh, Zemeckis had no idea what he was doing. Nobody in the film knew what they were doing because you have, like, I don't know how many still images you've seen of this film. Uh, hmm. The fact that Pinocchio is completely computer-generated and really doesn't interact realistically with the environment he's in Mm. Like there, there are some shots where he's floating in Tom Hanks' hands. Ew, ew. No, that's oh yeah, good. yeah. There is also a wonderful sequence that's specifically dedicated to Pinocchio going to school and stumbling upon a pile of horse shit. And every critic in the world thanked God that they had been given a metaphor to describe the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It is also difficult to try and adapt Disney's version of Pinocchio within 2022 because, if y'all remember, Pleasure Island, that whole sequence. Yeah. yeah. There's no tobacco in this mm -hmm. one. The alcohol is substituted with root beer. Mm-hmm. Why? There, there's like... a weird section within the park where kids are allowed to protest and I'm like that's not exactly what? Yeah. Excuse me Disney? Yeah. Are they're... you showing your ass here Disney? Oh. Oh they've always shown their ass. I've oh, seen yeah. their fucking asshole for years. This is yeah, no yeah. this is not the first time. It's the fact that the camera just turns and we see a bunch of children in a picket line and having it framed as, oh, this is unruly behavior. What? This is unruly and bad, union busting. I'm just going to say this about Robert Zemeckis. He is a man that I think that he had a tremendous gift. And I think that if you watch Castaway, it is literally 
when that movie ends, whatever skill I believe that that man possessed as a truly visionary, brilliant filmmaker, it's gone at the end of that movie. I think the Polar Express is very pretty and I enjoyed watching it. After that, he has lost his goddamn mind and the thought that the man that gave us contact, a movie that is bleeding with emotion and ideas, has become this. It baffles me. Mm-hmm. God, content is great. Yeah, also the Coachmaster has his own musical number on the way to Pleasure Island in which you cannot see anything. It takes pl- place in like pitch black night and it's like you're you're doing a dance routine that we literally cannot see. What is going on? So I'm gonna chew I'm gonna chew out a movie for being too dark when I get to my section, but um Pinocchio shouldn't be too dark. Um and I know I'm talking a lot, but I just I get passionate about these movies because I really hate them. I will simply point out this. In 1992, Disney did a theatrical re-release of Pinocchio. The 1940, perfect movie. I saw Mm -hmm. that. I saw that in a theater in Humble, Texas. And that's all that I'm, that's the only version of Pinocchio that I'm ever going to see. Aside from, you know, the Del Toro, but that's different. Like, of Disney's version. Um, And it's the same way with Beauty and the Beast. I did not see the remake. I saw the 2013 3D re-release, and that mm-hmm. was gore. I actually have a cine story of Beauty and the Beast. I'm kind of obsessed with that story. For those that don't know me, I have. Uh, I I saw The Lion King in the re-release. Mm-hmm. Same. What you're getting with these movies is soulless crap. So, oh no, that no, this is not just soulless. This is also, I. I Okay, so Disney has a very strong habit of wanting to show off how well they can suck their own dick on screen. Uh, oh, yes. Oh, please mm-hmm. talk about this. Yes. Uh, this was especially apparent with Ralph Breaks the Internet. Uh, Pinocchio 2022, Disney's edition, does the same thing where they decide to place like all of their various animated films, etc., as cuckoo clocks in Geppetto shop, which gives off the impression like this is not just like, Oh, a, a cute little wink, wink, nudge, nudge. No, that what this does in the film is not only do we see Disney sucking its own cock and nobody enjoys it. It's also that it's implied that Geppetto has invented like the main Disney characters, Roger rabbit, the lion King, sleeping beauty, uh, uh like a bunch of stuff that literally does not exist in the time that the story is supposed to be taking place. But who gives a shit? It's Disney. It's no, no, no. Again, the man that made bleeping Roger rabbit, mm-hmm. a movie that also had a lot of references and stuff, but was perfect. Mm-hmm. Back to the future. One of my all time favorite films, if not the actually Roger rabbit was one of the first episodes of the film room. Yeah, actually, it was episode seven. Along we did, yes, we it compared was. it to Space Jam. Yeah, yeah. Um, if y'all go back and listen to that and hear us just absolutely lose our shit over Roger Rabbit, mm-hmm. it's it's a masterpiece. Hear my terrible remix of the two themes. <laughs> Damn you to hell! <laughs> I thought it was great in the time. It was. It was. It was. Anyway, moving on. Thank you. Anyway, yeah, moving yeah. Right along. 
more animation-ish. I watched The Queen's Corgi, an animated uh, film where it's about, uh, you know, one of the Queen's Corgis, you know, being spoiled as shit. And then, you know, betrayal sent out into the real world, you know, meet a bunch of street dogs. and But, like, the thing is, we see the Queen. Like, the Queen, there is a very extended sequence wherein Donald Trump shows up with his dog, which, you know, is definitely based on real life. And uh, this this dog actually attempts sexual assault on our main character. Okay. For kids. For kids. Mm-hmm. It is incredibly, incredibly gross. Gross. And you wonder, what the hell were they thinking? And uh, that's that's really all I have to say about that. Uh, that's oh, lame is twenty twelve. I finally saw it. Oh yeah. Oh, it's not good. Okay. <laughs> like like I'm not exactly well equipped to sing, but even I could tell when people were either flat or just not hitting those notes. And it also doesn't help that it's. From the same guy who gave who would give us cats twenty nineteen. Yeah. I uh, I I think the decision to to record the singing live was a batshit insane decision, frankly. Um uh, I think the only person that really came out of that looking good was Anne Hathaway. And that's because and that's because her instrument is just impossible to describe. What she has as a voice is I truly think if she hadn't gone into comedy and to dramatic work the way that she did, she would she would have been a stage star. She absolutely has an instrument. And, you know, I mean, obviously I'm saying that about, well, she won an Oscar for this, for playing, for doing one of the great moments in stage history. Yeah, I, I the whole decision, the fact that Hugh Jackman doesn't come out that great in this should really say anything, everything, because he is one of the greats of Broadway. Yeesh. Mm-hmm. Also, hot take, but I don't think Les Mis works as a musical. Just saying it. I think Les Miserables is, it's one of my favorite books of all time. Jean Valjean is one of my favorite characters in all of fiction. I think he fundamentally, I think it's a little too dramatic to work as a musical. I'm just, it, it's hard for me to explain it. It's a little too political. It's a little too, it just doesn't work. Like the camera work in this absolutely does not work with like, like there's barely any still shots save for like Anne Hathaway's number. It It's always like slightly moving or slightly at a Dutch angle and it's nauseating. Gross. And you want people to sit in the theater for like over two hours and watch that go on? No. No, thanks. Also was not exactly pleased to find Eddie Redmayne in this. And I'm like, oh, so that's how you ended yeah. up in the Danish girl. Yeah, damn you to hell. Yeah. yeah that was around that time. And uh, I think the only thing I've seen him in prominently in the last few years is, of course, the thing that shall not be mentioned. Yeah. By she who, who, she who shall not be named. Oh, in all fairness, uh, he does have a movie coming up uh, for Netflix that is based on a really great true story uh, where he's playing a killer nurse. So that'll probably be fun. That might be fun because it's based on a really good true crime book I've read. So that might be fun. Yeah. Along the lines of 
crime and trans uh Brian De Palma's dressed to kill. I uh, I'm just gonna say that the only De Palma that film that I think that I really like, other than Carrie, is Carlito's Way. And otherwise I just I don't get De Palma. Sorry. I, I, I really don't like Aside from like maybe Phantom of the Paradise and Blowout. Oh wait, you yeah, get those two. Yeah, never yeah. mind. Never mind. Never mind. Gotta put those two in. Duh. Okay. Say. You're welcome. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I almost sounded really stupid there. My first exposure to him was um Scarface, the uh, updated Scarface. Yeah. Which was not mm-hmm. a I hate Scarface. It was not a good intro, but that was all over stone, baby. The sentient bag of cocaine. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But yeah, see, that's the difference between Carlito's Way and Scarface's. Scarface was uh, written by Stone. Uh, David Coop wrote Carlito's Way. Much better writer. Yeah, Dress to Kill is just offensive. Yes, it is. I find it to have no merit whatsoever. It's like, oh, he's doing Hitchcock. Yes, but you could have done Hitchcock much better and without coming off as a piece of shit. You You know, Hitchcock would have things like gay themes. Rope. In like in rope, strangers on a train. It, but like there, it well for one thing he was evoking real cases, uh, or mm-hmm. well a real case with uh, rope. But for another thing, like there was actually something being said in those movies. I looking back on my review of Rope, I think it was a little harder on it than I needed to be. I love that movie really. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah, God, now I'm thinking of better movies. Keep going, Zephyr. I'm sorry, I keep interrupting you. I'm being very rude. Actually, uh. Okay, so I made a mistake primarily in going to the gas station and picking up a white claw for the first time. Never had it. Second mistake. The second mistake I did was drinking white claw for the first time while also watching Harmony Corrine's Trash Humpers. Mm-hmm. Now, oh, God, I hate Harmony Corrine so much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Do I want to know? <laughs> No, no, you really don't. You really okay. don't. I mean, go ahead. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah. Like, I understand why people might like trash humpers. I I get it. I understand it. It's just, you know, maybe this one might not be for me. Like, it's very much no budget. Him and, like, a few other people in ugly prosthetics just doing weird and unsettling things. Like aforementioned trash humping we've we have a scene involving pancakes and hand sanitizer mm-hmm. uh, found, mm-hmm. okay then i found it really weird that one of the uh titular characters would later be put into a really skimpy two-piece for most of spring breakers that my brain could not make that jump i know that it was all bad prosthetics in the first one but i'm like no my brain is not making this leap you, you you're creepy dude you're creepy yeah it's just oh god i, I hate spring breakers so much that we may have to do an episode on it when it nears, it's nearing its 10th anniversary. When it gets there, we may have to do an episode so that I can just finally rip this movie apart with a hunting knife. Please. Yeah. Go on. Uh, yeah. There is also The Magic Christian, the Peter Sellers Ringo Starr outing. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, it's not, not very good. Peter Sellers is wasted as a talent in this film. Ringo Starr is just there. The British humor doesn't quite land. There's a bizarre sequence where you have Yul Brenner in drag singing to Roman Polanski at a bar. Huh. Oh, God, stop talking. 
That's weird. That's um. Please. Also, Christopher Lee shows up as Dracula. Oh boy. Okay, so there's one awesome thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. So I guess I, I guess I don't know anything about this movie. <laughs> it's it's supposed to be a satire on wealth and society, but it's all and like how the rich can pay people to get away with crimes, and it's like, but it's done in a very blocky way of it's that and very of its time where right. you know watching it now you're just like Ugh. like we've already felt the things we've seen the news we've lived the news this does not have the same impact it might have had at the time no mm -hmm. no i i can i can agree i can agree uh, that's from mm -hmm. terry southern isn't it uh yeah yeah terry southern is one of those guys for which aside from uh being part of the team that did dr strangelove have always bounced very hard off of like there's even a scene where you have peter sellers in engaging in metaphorical warfare on a large circular table and if i had a nickel every time that happened i'd have two nickels it's just weird that it happened twice again mm -hmm. <laughs> again dr strangelove is well it's dr strangelove i don't have to explain this movie to people right well, like we're right. all we're all agreed that that one is actually as good as it's sold as, right? Because it is. I love it. Oh yeah, love it. It's if you haven't seen it, we recommend it's Stanley Kubrick de uh, doing uh, comedy satire and nailing it. It's hysterical. My God, the scene where the scene where Sellers is on the phone talking to the head of Russia, and it's just this awkward, sad, pathetic conversation. I haven't seen the movie in, I probably haven't seen the movie in 20 years, and I'm still laughing thinking about that scene. And Peter Sellers plays like three characters. Yes. Great <laughs> in it. There, there's a good movie. Yeah. Okay. Um, I but am yeah. definitely late to the party on this one, but I saw Bridesmaids. Ah, yes. And this is, and this is one where you and I actually are pretty much a very strong disagreement on, and I respect that. Stone-faced for two hours, found absolutely nothing objectively hilarious in it chris o'dowd as the g willikers cop slash romantic interest that did nothing for me like i am not against women being crass y you can go out you know you you can tell shit jokes you can make you can show shit at literal literal metaphorical i that's not what i'm against i'm just against badly written comedy and it and again, I think it's funny that you and I are at such loggerheads on this because, first of all, I actually think that that movie was way oversold on that front. I actually think that's only like 5 to 10% of it. I think a lot of it is some really potent observational humor about surviving depression and failure. And I don't know, it worked. It, it's, one, it's one I've gone back to repeatedly. I do think that it does suffer from the need to definitely have an edit. All of Judd Apatow's produced movies desperately need an editor to go, okay, no, you can cut 10% of this. This is true. I do think that. That's true. It's hard to do a comedy that brushes the two-hour mark. Yeah, you sh it. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't do it. Um, yeah, but no. yeah. I mean, there are rare exceptions, but it's uh, it's hard to do. Yeah, let's move along. Okay, Louisiana Story. Now, this was a film directed by the guy who gave us Nanook of the North, and is ostensibly about a boy living on the bayou and dealing with this oil company that comes in on the land. This was supposed to be a documentary, but there's very little 
anything that actually puts it in that genre. And it's actually a pro-oil piece. I don't think anything more need be said. It is also dreadfully, like, it's poorly paced. This easily could have been, like, a 40-minute film. Fine. Whatever. I decided to watch this film at, like, twice the speed, and it still wasn't fast enough. <laughs> Speaking of bad films from that era, we have Judge Priest, a, a film that is about this kindly old southerner judge and uh, step and fetch it. Okay. Uh, wow. That's really all I need to say. Yeah. What does what does that mean? Okay. Okay. If I heard the hand clap, like, oh boy, here we go. <laughs> yes. Uh, if you go back and do your history on the way black people were portrayed in in cinema, especially the early days, you have the uh, the la- the lazy Negro stereotype. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And Step and Fetch It was the one to go to in order to show that. Yeah. It was a movie? Yeah, Step and Fetch It was an actor who, you know, did these kinds of roles. And, yeah, there is no... <sighs> How do I put it? Like, like Step and Fetch it and his and the roles that he was cast in definitely played a part in Spike Lee's Bamboozled. Yeah. So, look, if you want to know more, you can go watch Bamboozled or watch Marlon Riggs' Ethnic Notions. So I take it that this dude, this was a white dude that did lots and lots and lots oh, of blackface. No, no, it's it's actually kind of sadder. Uh oh. Okay. It, it's a. It's a black man. Oh. Yeah. Oh shit. Okay. It's a it's it's a sad, sobering story. I'll put it that way. Okay. Um. All right. But yeah. Damn. This was billed as a comedy. A whole lot of it would not fly today. Strong, 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 strong pass on that. I also watched the ass-numbing four-hour film Cleopatra. I uh, just, it's it's so bad. It's it's so bad. It deserves its, it deserves its hate. It deserves its reputation. I mean, Ugh. okay, aside from white people playing Egyptians. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It very much needed an edit. This did not need to be four fucking hours long. Well, it wasn't even, well, I will point this out. It wasn't even, in, I think that at one time they were planning it as two movies. Mm-hmm. And the problem was that because the Elizabeth Taylor, Richard Burton thing happened, they realized that the first movie wasn't going to make any money because they're not really in it. And so it was all hammered together. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh what what year is this one? Uh, 1963, I want to say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's dated as hell. It feels like it's 30 years late even then, honestly. 30 years late. Like there's maybe like one interesting section ends with the festival dance sequence, but that's like halfway through the film. And there wasn't even an intermission on the, on HBO max. Yeah. As cause it's supposed to be there and it just, it just didn't happen. So it's like, okay, you know, we're going to keep going and yeah, that's four hours of my life. I am not going to get back along with every other bad film that I've mentioned. So did you watch anything good? Yes, yes, yes. Thank you for giving me a perfect segue moment uh, to ask you that. <laughs> I saw Cronenberg's Crimes of the Future. I love that Cronenberg came back to just say, look, I can still do this. And he very much did say that, along with, like, it's very, 
like Crimes of the Future, not to be confused with his other early film of the same name, that is the kind of storytelling that I want to do in terms of like narrative, themes, all that. Because it's very much about being disabled in in a fucking hellscape. And then there's also like the trans narrative that weaves through it. You know, you know, it's funny. We're talking about De Palma. I, I you know, Cronenberg is similar in that there's a lot of flash. There's a lot of energy to his work. But man, Cronenberg has so much to say. And it's interesting. And I love that he's saying these things. It's very progressive. I mean, you can't have worked with Clive Barker uh, as he did and not have you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like you can't have been on the set of nightbreed and be someone who's got to stick up their ass about this stuff or you know working with william burroughs for naked lunch yeah working with william burroughs man cronenberg's cronenberg's the real stuff i'm so glad he came back to also i'm glad that he finally got to work with Kristen stewart because she needed to be in his canon at some point Mm -hmm. yeah God, it's so funny to me how Twilight, the actors who worked on Twilight, have really benefited from an association with Cronenberg. Except for Taylor Lautner, but that's... I said the actors. <laughs> yes. I said oh my. the actors, the ones who are good actors. And, I mean, Stuart and Pattinson are just absolutely on fire right now, so... Oh, yes. I still love that Pattinson played the most weird, emotionally disturbed, tormented Batman that we've gotten yet, and it worked. <laughs> It worked. Like, I still remember when the news came out that Pattinson would be Batman. Everyone's like, oh, what the shit is this? You know, it's like, oh, is he going to fucking sparkle? And I'm like, no, 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 no. It's the opposite. Like, it's the opposite. He's going to be dark and brooding. And uh, he's going to be of the age where Batman could have grown up listening to MCR. So, yes, he is. It is is the ultimate emo Batman. He definitely fucking did. And I'm like, people, I'm begging you, watch stuff that he's done since Twilight. And, you know, they they won't touch it because it's not name brand or fucking franchise or whatever the shit. And I'm just like, y'all have some fun, please. I know. Moving along. Yes. Let's see. Uh, Queen Christina, the uh, pre-code 1930s Greta Garbo film that is still very much like it still has a lot of power because you have Greta Garbo as this historical figure who played a bit with gender and like even watching it in, you know, nearly a hundred years later, I'm just like, this is actually surprisingly well handled and a good portion of films made today still are a little chicken shit to even touch this stuff. Awesome. Yes. It's also a beautiful costume film as well so von sternberg right uh no uh yeah. uh ruben uh Lemillion. yeah yeah him. yeah i knew it was one of the greats of that era mm-hmm. yeah uh speaking of greats there's also the powell and pressburger film a matter of life and death oh that's a good one it is a good one it's like it's fascinating how you had this and it's a wonderful life released in the same year dealing with very similar themes I think that life and death was a subject that post-war we were just, we needed to deal with. Yes. Also some very gorgeous use of Technicolor and, and sets. Like they do this fascinating thing where the stuff that takes place on earth is in full Technicolor, but heaven and the afterlife is in stark black and white. Oh, that's great. It is. 
I wish more people would take the time to seek out this film. Oh, God, it's so fucking good. Okay. Uh, I know. Okay. Austin, you and I are going to spar on this, but Southland Tales? <laughs> you know, it's and the thing is, though, is that we're not going to spar so much as it's a case where I don't get it, but I respect what it is. I respect the flex, so to speak. So really not going to spar on it because... I at least admire that Richard Kelly absolutely swung for the fences. I hate everything that Kelly has done, but I don't think he's a hack is the thing. I admire, I also admire that the people that made Southland Tales are still deeply proud of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Including, bizarrely enough, the lead actor. Dwayne Johnson will talk about that movie happily in interviews. I forgot he was in that. He's the lead. Oh boy. Yeah, it's like. He's in it. It's Sarah, been a while. Sarah Michelle Gellar is in it. You have Amy Poehler. Wallace Sean. Sean William Scott. Yeah, Wallace. Fucking like, forgot Amy Poehler was in it. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, yeah, Johnson will always say that it's the movie where he got to prove that he was, in fact, a real actor. Yeah, we don't. I don't hate it. I'll put it. Th- I hate the box. I don't hate this. Yeah. Yeah, the box was. Uh... The box was a middle finger to Richard Matheson. And I took that personally. Like the um, poster? No, I mean the movie itself. Oh, the, just... the movie, the box. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Richard Kelly. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, no, that one was, I, I took that movie personally as a fan of Richard Matheson. Like, as I was sitting through and watching Southland Tales, it, it dawned on me, like, this was what Don't Look Up tried to be. Yes. Except with this, there is actually a sense of direction and... Like, Southland Tales definitely was trying to discuss things that would be of a not-too-distant future, but still plausible-ish. And, of course, watching it now, you can see it's like, oh, holy shit, there's a lot of stuff that kind of came to pass. Yeah. Whereas with Don't Look Up, it was so goddamn smug. Can I just say that it's extremely funny... Uh, that in the last month we had NASA like slamming a um, a satellite into an asteroid as a test to see if we could you know do that and going oh well that just completely invalidates that entire movie cool yeah I mean Good. I get it it's it's a metaphor like it's a metaphor for for you know global warming I get that but it's still funny to me <laughs> like oh okay no you're you're right you're right you're right yeah yeah. <laughs> Like, we're totally fine from this specific thing. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. Yeah. Like, I would gladly rewatch Southland Tales over Don't Look Up any day of the week. Yeah. Let's see. I did watch the recent Lars von Trier film, The House That Jack Built. I'm I'm probably the only one out of the three that will go to bat for von Trier at times. Uh, Breaking the Waves is great. Breaking the Waves is great. Uh, I'll defend that one. I actually had a copy of the screenplay at one time. I may still have one, actually. Yeah. Like, with his recent work with uh, The House That Jack Built, Nymphomaniac, Volumes 1 and 2, and Melancholia, all of which clock over two hours or so, it moves along rather quickly. Like, there's like it goes along at a very nice pace, and then it's one of those where you sit down and you're like, oh, holy shit, a lot of time has passed, as opposed to you know something a lot slower like Cleopatra, where it's like, oh, God, there's still three hours left. Yeah. <laughs> Um, he doesn't get into like the full, uh, I guess, Von Trierzian kind of stuff, like the slow motion art homages until the very last 
like 15 minutes of the film and even then it's it's great stuff to look at oh that's cool mm-hmm. that's cool yeah uh i'm, I'm almost done I, I swear there's like five that's... five more on my list Five more on my that's list. That's fine. Okay. All good. Uh, Frankenhooker. Hindenlauter. Mm-hmm. Love Hindenlauter. Yes. It's very much a semi-modern riff on the brain that wouldn't die. Like, you can easily tell which parts of it were lifted for this particular iteration. But it's great. Also, the creature design in it in, like, the final third. It... Just some of the most fucked up little flesh things that I've seen. I'm like, yes. That's Hidden Lauder. That's Hidden mm-hmm. Lauder for you. Uh, again, I love the guy's stuff. Obviously, Basket Case movies. Yes. Um, this, uh, case. Brain, da- brain Damage. I love them. Uh, let's see. Uh, Death to Smoochie. Uh-huh. Yes. It's in your good category. Oh, of course it, it was. I like. I was not going to pass up talking about Death to Smoochie. Like, it was very much in the good category when I was making my list. I've actually noticed that it's one of those movies that was so hated in 2002. And anymore, when it comes up, people just lose their shit with glee because it's awesome. I need to see it. Adam Resnick's script. Who who did? Um, Adam Resnick is the guy that wrote it. He did uh, Lucky Numbers. He did this. And he did Cabin Boy. He's kind of the genius of writing scripts that everybody hates in the moment and years later know by heart. He's awesome. Oh, that's funny. And it's Danny DeVito directed. Is it? Yes. yes. Well, shit, that and, changes everything. And mm. it's real good Danny DeVito directing. It was anti-recommended to me in the moment, like in uh, 2002, 2003? Yep. Uh, 2002. Yeah. 2002. Like, and and uh, yeah, that kind of forever made me go, okay, then I'll avoid it. But uh, I might just have to reconsider that. It's part of Robin Williams' insane hat trick in 2002 of bastard performances. Because mm-hmm. it was Cause... this and One Hour Photo. And Insomnia. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the remake of Insomnia. Three really great performances in really damn good movies. Dang. Yeah. Like, as a kid, I saw the poster for Death to Smoochie up on the theater wall, and I'm like, what is this? And then I, I just <sighs> never got around to seeing it because it was mm-hmm. somehow always out of reach. And then I'm scrolling through YouTube, and it's one of the free-to-watch movies. I'm like, yeah. oh, shit. Okay, I have time for this now. Watch it? Yeah, I watched it, and it's great. It's it's hysterical, and it's it's just it's one of the most it's one of the best modulated comedy scripts of the two thousands. To be blunt, y'all are pretty bad for comedy, actually. Uh huh. But this is a really good one. This is a really great one. So, mm-hmm. yeah, mm, cool. Almost there. Okay, so Ken Russell's Listomania. Cool. A, a film mm-hmm. that, as promised, out Tommy's Tommy. Mm. Lots of phallic imagery. Like there. Like, there is a sequence where you have Roger Daltrey riding around on a giant mechanical penis. Okay, that's not even phallic imagery at that point. That's just phalluses. <laughs> I mean, technically, it's images. It's images of, fa- of fallacies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, technically. You also have Ringo Starr's The Pope at one point. Uh, there's a Nazi Frankenstein that is resurrected. Like, this is... Again, way more bonkers than what uh, Russell did with Tommy, which is a work of art, in my opinion. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. Ken Russell is awesome. Ken Russell marched to his own own beat his entire career, and we just Mm -hmm. run for it. Oh, yeah. Though he he would get serious at times. I'm trying to think of how bad. Whore. 
because that's the name of the movie, is a, a real rare, serious film for him. And it's it's worth seeking out. Mm-hmm. And then there is the Dr. Seuss penned script for the film The 5,000 Fingers of Dr. T. Ah, I didn't know he wrote films. Just one. Okay, so he wrote film. Okay. Yeah, he wrote film. Uh, the script was originally 1,200 pages. Ooh, 12-hour movie, huh? Mm-hmm. 14-hour. Uh, Whatever that translates to with the one minute per page. I don't I don't even want to know. Oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, like, yes, that this is a live-action Dr. Seuss film for all intents and purposes. You can definitely see some of the trademark Seussian elements, but there's also, like, this weird atomic age slash German expressionism going on in the set design. The fact that you have uh, uh, the villain, the uh, Dr. Uh, Terwilliker, played by the guy who gave us Captain Hook. Hans Conried. Mm-hmm. And just chewing the scenery any chance he gets. It is, it is a fever dream, but one that I wholeheartedly embrace. Cool. Like, there's no way that they'd be able to do half of the stuff that they do in this film today because it's all practical. Like they bring in all of these boys to sit on this giant curved piano at the same time. And yeah. Okay. So final film, final film, final film. Uh-huh. Uh, Trick or treat Scooby-Doo. I watched this one last <clears throat> night. This is the official Velma is gay. Uh, direct-to-video Scooby-Doo movie, and I only went in knowing that, but this one actually gave a lot more. Like, you have a solid uh, premise where Scooby Gang decides to seek out the person making the costumes behind all of the villains. That's genius. That's nice. And in doing so, they realize they accidentally managed to decrease crime. For an entire year. (laughs) And so they're struggling to get any kind of work. Because you have that. You have some really great great humor that leans upon, you know, the previous well-known tropes of the Scooby franchise. We also get Ballroom Blitz as a chase song. Which anytime you can bring that into a movie, I'm like, okay, you got me there. Damn it, you're you're, you're cheating, but you got me. Mm -hmm. Love that song. Yeah, they actually managed to have that as a Scooby Chaser. I'm like, oh, that's perfect. It is perfect. Like, it has a lot of shades of the Raja Gosnell Scooby-Doo movies from the early 2000s, primarily more so with uh, Monsters Unleashed. Yeah, which I think is a really good one. But it's still a great Scooby-Doo film. I, I, you know, I'm going to say I've watched several of the direct video stuff, and it's really the direct video stuff that made me a fan of that franchise because with the extended running time they get to tell each individual story, you really get to see them having fun with it. You get to see how much the franchise really does owe it a lot to the classic mysteries when it's done right. You get to see how much edge there is to it. The humor is, it's never overly self referential, but it is aware of the weight of what it's got. The, the character work is strong. I love that Frank Welker continues to be Fred, even as his voice gets really far past a point where it's really quite working. 
I, I, I love him, but he is sounding, he definitely is sounding his years. Um, I also think that, um, you know, with Casey Kasem's passing, they had to hand off the role of uh, Shaggy to someone. I think Matthew Lillard just absolutely, he's invisible. I never think, oh, they got the guy from the movies to do it. No, I just think, okay, that's that's the part. Mm-hmm. He's he's perfect. He's perfect. I'm glad he uh, continues to do this. I really am. You know, people were joking uh, at the time when it was revealed how hard he worked to get the voice right, like screaming his voice hoarse. Oh, wow. It's like, okay, but yeah, but have you gotten it? But have you kept a job for 20 years? Just saying. I loved his... Uh... His bit in uh, Looney Tunes back in action. Oh, God, that gets so much funnier now. That gets so much so funnier great. now that he is the official voice. I will also <laughs> say that uh, Kate Micucci as uh, Velma is, she always does kind of pop to me as I'm always aware that that's her. But well, she's shit. great. I didn't, I didn't register that that was her. That's amazing. But she's always great. I, this is what I'm wanting to watch. So Ze- Zephyr, I'm glad you put that one on my radar. I'm going to try and see that ne- next week. Yes, please do. Very nice. And uh, with that, I yield the floor. Albert. Okay. Oh, me? Okay. Well, I have a small list that I've compiled, so it's it's going to be pretty quick. Um, there's certain one that we've all seen that, you know, saving for last, but it's on there. Yeah. Uh, I will quickly hit on What We Do in the Shadows wrapped up Season 4 during this time. And great. Oh, yeah. Hit out of the park. They, they're getting a fifth and sixth season. I hope they go beyond because they got stories. It's great. They do. So let's see. I watched the the newer version of Poseidon, the 2006. That's all right. It was uh, brutal, uh, as it probably should be. Poor Freddy Rodriguez did not deserve the death he got. Spoilers. Sorry. But yeah, it's very much, you know, you can. You know how you can watch a film and then look at all the actors that are in it and go, oh, yeah, this is of a time. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that that was was... very hard, 2006. It's Oh, yeah. No, just Richard Dreyfuss in his later years. I was going to say, this was at a moment where if Emmy Rossum was in a movie, I knew to absolutely run the flip away from it because she was a sign that something was going to be very bad, despite her being a very good actress. Oh, boy. And and she had, weirdly enough, yeah, like, she just, she had this porcelain doll princess image at that moment. And then Shameless happened. And it broke her as an actress for me, where I was like, oh, no, 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 no. Now I get what you were being held for. She's in, that she never won an Emmy for that show is criminal to me. She's mm. brilliant on it. And when she leaves the show, it dies. It dies such a fatal death. Because she's so good on it. Wow. Yeah, she's phenomenal on that. Uh, great, great, great performance there. But yeah, that's, Poseidon's not one I've raced to see. Yeah, that's all right. I need to see... I feel like I need to see the original Poseidon adventure. Mm. Not really. <laughs> yeah, it's it's okay. It's okay. Okay, but anyway, I recently, in the last week, saw Drag Me to Hell for the first time. Uh, Sam Raimi... And uh, that's one that, in the moment it was released, in what, 2001? 2009. Uh, 2009? 2009, really? Yeah, that, that was his cashing in all his cards on Spider-Man. Oh, I, oh, I could have... Okay. No, it's, it's for, 09. For some reason, I had a memory of it being, at, like, coming out when I was in high school. No, uh, The Gift was his 2001 movie. Okay. Yeah. 
it's one in the moment that it's like, well, this doesn't look like my cup of tea. And then I saw it, and I'm just like, my only thought is, well, the man can't not make Evil Dead 2, but that's all I want him to ever make. It's all he ever wanted to make, so yeah. If that if that makes sense. I'm not saying that his style is repetitive in any way, because it's not. But he just, he's of a style, and I love it. Bob Dylan can only sing in that voice. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's it. And uh, it's just it's just the amount of the perfect combination of uh, horror and just over the top ridiculousness that I kind of love. But anyway, and so I enjoyed it. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Bullet Train saw Bullet Train. Uh, gotta give a shout out to Elizabeth Ronalds for her editing work on that. Yeah, I did on Twitter, and um, and she. You know, showed her appreciation back for the, you know, for the praise. But yeah, Bullet Train is fun. Like, it's also, you know, over the top. There are a lot. Oh, it's popping with cameos. I'm not going to spoil any of them, but I'm just going to say it's. I hate that I know. I hate that I know who shows up in the third act because he's one of my favorites. <laughs> yes. A guy that yes. I love to death. Yes, it's like a hi. Like, it makes sense that you're here, but what are you doing here? <laughs> like, is there a weird assemblage of character actors? Okay, I gotta be in this shit. Exactly. And, you know, noting noting previous films that this crew has worked on, you know. It's, it's, it's a David Leach project, so yeah. Yes. So, anyway, it was great, and I'm glad I got to catch it in theater, because it was a great theater watch. Cool. But anyway, so let's see. I want to quickly give a shout out, like, you know, with our expanded media purview to the David Lynch biography. Yeah. It's it's a fun listen. Absolutely. Yeah, because it's basically like he hired an actual biographer to biography his life, like talk to people in his life and do just a proper workup on it. Said nothing, you know, nothing was really off limits. And so a chapter will be her work. And then it'll be Lynch himself basically vamping on the same, like, the same era of time from his perspective. How which, cool. You know, yeah, which is segmented to, like, making of projects. Like, there's a whole chapter on Twin Peaks. I just want to give away one of the best moments, which is uh, in the notes meeting for the first couple episodes, uh, executive pulled out a, a piece of paper. It's like, oh, I have some notes for you if... Uh, uh, if you're interested, and David just stone cold said, "No, not really," and to which we, oh, and just slid him back in his pocket. I love that Lynch is on a theatrical poster right now that is hanging up in at least one lobby in Little Rock. Because oh, I saw yeah? it yesterday. Yeah, he he's on the poster for the Fablemans. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> cool. For those that don't know, he's playing John Ford in that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I can get behind that. But yeah, by all accounts, he's he's a super guy. <laughs> yeah. You could drink yourself to death on a drinking game where, you know, where you take a shot every time he says the word beautiful cool. in, that, in that biography. Anyway, I highly recommend it. It's called Room to Dream. And I especially recommend the audio version because, yeah, it's David Lynch speaking. Oh, great. Oh, yeah. Let's see. Harley Quinn. Animated series Harley Quinn. I'm glad that's still going strong. That goes places. That's all I'm going to say about it. Discover it for yourself. The Joker becomes mayor at one point. It's great. <laughs> uh, She-Hulk. I watched the finale of that last night. Yeah, I just finished. Not going to give any spoilers. But I am so happy the places that went. 
I think it is as fantastic an adaptation of the comics as we could have gotten. I think they nailed yeah. it. This is what I'm getting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, very, very fourth wall, which it has been the entire time, but it's just... It goes insane in the last episode. Right. It actually goes to a point where it's like mad at the entire formula and just stops uh-huh. and goes, okay, can we not do this shit anymore? Yeah. It is... <laughs> it is it's genuinely a daisy cutter to a lot of things Marvel does. Yeah. The last, the last episode is titled whose show is this? And it's great. <laughs> Though there uh, is a cameo in the last episode that made me happy. Yeah. I like seeing that person again. Yeah. 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 Uh, I watched Brazil again for the first time uh, in a while. I still like the film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I got, I actually got, um, well, I got a, a Criterion film as a present because it just came out. Uh, sh- don't tell the person in the other room. Uh, for that, I got a $12 credit and they said, okay, here's one you could use. And also there's a flash sale tomorrow. I'm like, perfect. I'm oh, going to finally get Brazil. <laughs> I've been mm, waiting awesome. for that for decades. So now I have awesome. the Criterion Blu- Blu-ray. So yeah. Nuff said on that one. Watch it. It's great. It's Brazil. Yes, it's Brazil. Nuff said. It's Gilliam at his peak. Yeah. Even if you hate Gilliam, and I actually kind of am not the biggest fan, I yeah, respect I understand. it. I respect it. I think it is him when he put it all together the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. he fought He fought to get his cut. That's a yes, whole story. That's a yep, whole that- story. Yeah, the uh, the battle for Brazil. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Excellent book, excellent book. Yeah, bizarrely enough, that was in the Conway, Arkansas library for some reason. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, I will. I will never understand that. I will briefly say that we only have the the cut. We have two cuts of the movie that's on the the Blu-ray. Uh, his vision, yes. uh, yeah. and the the ninety minute Love Conquers All version, which is what the studio wanted and we only have that because the studio got to uh got to have their cut on the tv version so i think you need to have both cuts in uh, in availability though to understand the work i think in a way in its own weird way the love conquers all cut needs to be understood as a legitimate reflection of someone's interpretation of the material even if it's even if it's well you know it is what it is so, so yeah, that's on the disc two on that. But anyway, yeah, Brazil, it's great. Seek it out. Two more briefly. I've u- used my Disney Plus subscription to its full advantage because they continue to put out some pretty awesome cartoons. The Owl House are good. Oh yeah, it's funny. <laughs> it's really good. It's almost Gravity Falls uh, level uh, and its humor and uh, and just use of lore and uh, I love it a lot. And it's about to. It's either about to or has had its third season, which is like a three episode, 44 minutes each finale. So I'm glad it's getting a proper uh, ending on its own terms. But anyway, and the last one is The Sandman, the Netflix adaptation. Cool. Yeah. And also note that uh, Dirk Mag's wonderful audio drama adaptation has its third act out now. They're 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 going to go through the whole thing at this point. They they're clearly oh, going yeah. for it. Oh, yeah, and I, I love can't, it. I love it. Can't wait. Uh, I'm 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 listening. I have it. I own it. I'm listening through one and two again so I can get to that. But anyway, the the TV version is pretty good. I hope that gets a second season like it's it's, it's going to. There's no yeah. doubt. It's it's Netflix can look at the numbers. It's been huge for them. Absolutely. And it's had legs is the thing. It's had long legs so far. Yeah. 
it's a great adaptation. Like the the only thing I have to compare it to is the audio drama version. I can only imagine knowing, you know, knowing Mags and how he does his stuff, that it's a pretty direct uh adaptation it's definitely a case where they're very friendly adaptations and that there's no rivalry between the two camps well there can't absolutely be because not. gaiman's involved in both yeah absolutely yeah he's the narrator on the uh, audio drama but yeah so and i think for what they did with tv they did a great job on it so so as far as adaptations go it's the per- i think it's the perfect way to adapt but but yeah so that's that's all my things that's my recommendations mostly good yeah so. I'm gonna I'm gonna do a real quick shotgun blast on my stuff. Okay. Y'all have to understand that one of the reasons that I don't get to watch as much stuff is because I am a father, uh-huh. I am a husband, I'm busy, I have a lot going on. So I wish I watched more stuff, but I still did manage to actually get to theater several times recently. And three of the movies that I watched were either full on re releases or revival screenings. So I'm gonna talk about just kind of in ascending order the ones that I think are the best. Um, I got to see Batman: Mask of the Phantasm on Batman Day. And I think it looks good. I think there are some flaws that I'm that I noticed on this viewing, maybe a little bit more than I normally had. Um, I don't think that the cut. I don't think the print that I had was particularly good. I thought it was kind of an off print. Um, not all of the animation is quite theatrical grade, just to be honest. And that's something that I hadn't noticed until I got to see it in the theater. There's some there's some stuff that just doesn't quite get there. But it's still a great script. That script gets that script gets it far across the line. But then there's the two full-on theatrical re-releases that I got to see. Because for those that don't know, this summer Universal put Steven Spielberg's two biggest films for the company out. Well, aside from Jurassic Park, out in theaters. So I got to watch Jaws in 3D. Yeah. My God. Not to be confused with Jaws 3D. Yes. No, no, no. We're talking, <laughs> We're talking original Jaws. I just want to point out that you realize when you look at a conversion of a Spielberg movie into 3D, how much Spielberg uses deep focus on his movies because everything in the frame pops. It is, it is such a tactile experience watching this movie in 3D. It looks like there's never a moment where you're not noticing a 3D element. It is a even in some of the slowest, smallest dinner scene, the 3D is gorgeous. And of course, it's 3D that's overlaid onto Jaws. We have cast on it. You know what I think of the movie. Jaws, it couldn't be better, couldn't hold up better. But I want to talk briefly about the one that really affected me. I had never seen E.T. in full until the IMAX re-release. Really? I had never seen, not all the way through. And I'd always really? kept it in my back pocket. Yeah. And I'd always kept huh. it in my back pocket as this is one that I'm going to watch when I need it. This is one where the moment you see it is going to be perfect and I'm going to need it. And I saw it uh, in the IMAX remaster. For those that don't know, the movie was actually shot basically IMAX ratio. Uh, it was Academy ratio, so to speak. So it is the biggest IMAX movie I've ever seen at like a theatrical IMAX experience, not a LIMAX as they call it. Huh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it filled the entire frame. Every bit of it filled the frame. Nice. Spielberg is operating at a level that we almost take it for granted how great he is. But to watch him in this movie is to watch. It's like watching Jimmy Page do a guitar solo. It is a level of artistry that just you can't even grasp it. This is such a brilliant film. Melissa Matheson's script, though, matches him step for step. Matheson is one of those writers that I know writers consider her like a, she's a writer's writer, so to speak. I think that E.T. is one of the, it's, it's, 
if this were like if I was listing like the best films I'd seen without qualifying for re-releases, it would be one of the best films I've seen in the last 10 years. My God, E.T. is incredible. And I think it's almost taken for granted now in our culture. It's a movie that it, it's not cool anymore. You know what I mean? But it should be. It's phenomenal. And if you haven't seen it again in a while, it's great. You realize that Drew Barrymore was a comic actress of a rare breed just immediately. She's incredible in this. Um, all the actors are great. Henry Thomas is great. Uh, he is still working nonstop for those that don't know. He's in Midnight Mass. He, this, is, this is just, it's a great movie. And it's E.T. I, don't, I shouldn't need to say it. So there, I've talked about three really great older movies that I saw. Y'all, I'm going to have to do something bad here. Um, All right. I debated if I was going to talk about this movie because I wasn't in the mood to watch it. And the thing that changed my mind on deciding that I did need to talk about it was that in 2004, I went to see Harold and Kumar go to White Castle, and I was allergic to being in that theater. I wanted, the, I wanted to get the hell out. I had to beg my way in to see it for free. I did not want to <laughs> see that movie. Uh-huh. And and you know what happened when the second and third movies came out? Yeah, you were there. I flung my cash at them so happily because I was so not wanting to see that movie and it blew me away. I am a ride to die Harold and Kumar fan. So the fact that Cal Penn was in Smile made me decide that, you know what, I've been allergic to watching movies before. I was not in the mood to watch a horror movie. For again, this is gonna be something that it doesn't matter, but it's meta text for this cast. Um, I was working up until last night on a gender-flipped version of Beauty and the Beast that I'm writing. Mm-hmm. And I finished my first draft last night in a marathon writing session. My brain is not in horror mode. Yeah. But, I, but you know what? I was going to go in. Who knows? If it was good, it might have won me over. I think it's probably a 5 out of 10. But I think it is one of the most relentlessly nihilistic, unpleasant, bleak movies that doesn't say a goddamn thing about trauma. I do not understand why this movie is a blockbuster. This movie's making a ton of money. Why? Marketing. I cannot marketing. imagine marketing, but it's word of mouth is the thing. Word of mouth is driving the box office. Marketing doesn't get you a 22% hold at the box office. Word of mouth gets you that. I don't understand how people aren't walking out of this movie and going, Jesus Christ, don't sit you suffer through that. It is trauma. We, we, we bitch right now that horror is too heavy on trauma. I was surprised. This is probably like the most negative that I've been on a movie that I actually went to see willingly in some time. And I went with friends, to be clear, was why I went to see it. Otherwise, I wouldn't have gone to see it. But still, you know what this movie reminds me of? It reminds me of The Babadook if The Babadook hadn't had anything to say. Because it, it's the difference in the two endings. The Babadook ends by saying, okay, you've got all this trauma. What do you do next? Yeah, this movie ends with you've got all this trauma. You're just screwed. Uh, and you know what? Oh, that sucks. And you know that what? Sucks. That may be realistic, but you know what? I'm in a movie theater. I go to have resolution to my stories. You're not an art house film. You're a horror movie. Ultimately, the movie doesn't say anything, and it's so downbeat. It's not funny in any moments. It's not. It's nothing more than just constant negativity for a hundred minutes. And you just eventually, you, go, you just want to go shut up. Mm-hmm. And I, again, it's a hit. Sounds like Requiem for a Dream. Constant, uh, constant trauma for a hundred minutes. You know, yeah, that... I'm amazed. I'm amazed that I've come, gone on to actually like a lot of Darren Aronofsky's movies after Requiem for a Dream. Because I hate Requiem for a Dream. That was one that was popular when I was in high school, especially with my friends. 
it hasn't lasted much, have you noticed? Yeah, nobody's really talked about it. It's because it doesn't say shit. No, it's just, it's literally a, hey, here's all the forms of drug addiction and reasons why it happens and the consequences of it, and that's it. You know, it's it's funny. There's another movie that that's like this where the premise just sounded miserable. Uh, uh-huh. When I heard the premise to Happy Death Day, I thought that the filmmakers were out of their minds to try and make <laughs> you sit through a movie where the character would get killed repeatedly for a hundred minutes. But you know what? That's fun. It mm-hmm. all comes back to the ending because mm-hmm. if that movie doesn't end with her walking out of it perfectly fine. And for those that don't know, I love those two movies. I actually am literally looking at the novelization for both of them on my bookshelf <laughs> right now. I have, an, mm-hmm. I have a beautiful trade paperback edition of the novelization of both. That movie just had its fifth anniversary recently. Again, nice. you have to say something in your ending. And if all you say is, well, you're fucked, you haven't mm-hmm. said anything. Mm-hmm. I, I hated this movie. I, rec- I recognize that there's skill in it. The acting is good. But God, I was miserable watching it. And I think that's probably why, that's really probably why I wound up writing as much as I did last night was because I just had to get my, I had to refocus my energy. Mm-hmm. And so I gave my character, so I got to write the phrase, and they lived happily ever after. Instead, nice. yes, well, uh, yes, I put that as the last line. Screw it. Yeah, we'll yeah. see what We'll see what happens in new drafts. But I've got that out of the way. And like I said, again, I just, I want to know why the hell you would tell someone, yeah, you should go see this. It's also mm. not all that scary, frankly. Just to be honest, it, the, it's a lot of jump scares. And it's just, no, oh, and too many dream sequences. I just, I'm sorry. This is one that I was allergic to. A lot of people loved it. I was allergic. But I said we were going to save the last, best for last. And goddamn, are we saving the best for last, y'all? Mm-hmm. A little 50-minute Marvel special presentation dropped last week that I am dying to talk about. So let us discuss the black and white movie directed by the composer of the music for Up, <laughs> Werewolf by Night. I love Michael Giacchino. I love his that... his scores. They are my favorites. Oh, the uh, Yeah, my favorite in particular is when you actually look at them, like look at the, the track names. It's mm-hmm. glorious. It, it can be the most serious movie like, he doesn't do a lot of serious movies. It can be the most serious movie, and he will put... You can bet that the track list will be full of puns. Mm-hmm. He did. And at least one world's worst X. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> he is... It's great. Giacchino is one of the best composers that we have today. Yeah. Um, I um, He did the score for the Batman earlier this year, and it's some of the most beautiful thematic work the character has ever gotten. No surprise, he did the score for his own movie. He scored his own movie. Uh-huh. Okay, there's been a lot of hype that this movie is trying to do the Universal Monsters, but I don't think that's really accurate. Nah, no. What it's trying to be instead is the B-movie that's, like, trying to rip those off, but it doesn't have the budget, it doesn't have the style. But it winds up having its own really cool flair. Yeah, no. If it was a straight riff on the universal horror, then it wouldn't be, you know, it wouldn't, wouldn't be, be this good bloody. Oh, wouldn't yeah, be this no. Bloody. I've seen some people say that the black and white was only to get away with the blood. No, I no, I think, think the so. black and white's there because it I think the black and white is there to make it look like a B movie. I also think that the digital photography on it is deliberately a little bit cheap to make it evoke 
sort of the B-movie feel. Again, I really think B-movies were what Giacchino was going for here. As a directorial debut, this is a absolute going-for-the-fences movie. Apparently, the uh, uh, not giving anything away, but the, the monster in it, not the, were- not the you know, title name Werewolf, uh, the monster in it was mostly not CG, apparently. Actually, you're not going to be giving anything away because at this point, it's really... Well, we have to talk about it. It's Man-Thing. Oh, sure, yeah. It's Man-Thing. They don't call yeah. him that. He's only ever called Ted. Yeah, but yeah. The thing about this movie, though, is it actually really does pack a lot into 50 minutes. Mm-hmm. It, it's a complete story. All you get is the exact details you need. This is... It's, it's mostly sets. It's... It's actually relatively light green screen for Marvel. That's the other weird thing about yeah. it. This is a Marvel presentation that gets rid of almost everything that's been bugging people about Marvel lately. Lots of physical sets, lots of practical effects. Uh, the werewolf itself is mostly, I think it's actually all makeup. Yeah, I did wonder about that. It's all makeup. The um, There's some CGI in the movie and you can spot it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's there's one scene where they've got where they use green screen in a way that's like old school window into a <laughs> portal thing. Uh huh. It's it's that's funny, nice. but not it's funny, but not in a nudge, nudge, wink, wink, self-referential way. Yeah, it's weird. I'm not just going to say it. There's more meat in this than there was in Thor Love and Thunder, which yeah. I think we could have technically covered. But I. I don't have anything to say about that movie. I liked it enough when I watched it. I will never revisit it. There's more meat to that. Well, that's just it. I forgot about Thor Love and Thunder. Uh, doesn't that say it all, but, doesn't it? Well, no, no. It's not that I forgot. Uh, I just forgot it was within this time period. Tab and I loved it. <laughs> I, I know you were a little bit more. I'm kind of in the middle on it. I don't hate it the way that some people do. Mm-hmm. But to me, when I watch something like Werewolf by Night, it tells me, okay, the Marvel logo can be used to do something exciting. And Mm -hmm. weird and bold. And I love that there's just the characters in it. Uh, I've actually, bizarrely enough, I'd actually read the prose novel that uh, the character of Elsa Bloodstone was in, have maintained a connection with the writer ever since I reviewed it. Yeah. And I was thrilled that she was in it. She was really well handled. This is just, if you want to watch something that is just a really cool ass, exciting, fun thing, this is perfect for your Halloween. I had such a freaking blast with this movie. And like the thing was like on the day that it dropped, like I'm like, okay, I'll, you know, 50 minutes, I'll check it out. Sure. Fine. Whatever. And then I started telling you two in the chat. I'm like, Hey, look, I'm actually really liking this. Uh huh. And that was when I got really excited. Yeah. Because like, I'm not well versed in in all things Marvel and I've mostly kept away from Marvel stuff unless I felt like it. And mm-hmm. this one, it's like, I didn't really need any prior knowledge of, no. of like the past 20 movies or whatever to understand the plot. It's you're given the characters, you're given the scenario, and then you just go with it. It is. It really is a bullet. There's truly there's nothing. There's no excess in this movie at all. Oh, that it is just 50 and I'm calling it a movie because it's because it was honestly a more filling meal than, again, half the stuff they've done in the last five in the last 10 movies hasn't been nearly as satisfying as this. This is when you get excited for what Marvel can be. And I loved it. Yeah. Like this was one of the more accessible 
outings for Marvel than you know whatever they've had in the past five years or yeah really anything since uh the end of the first three phases yeah for uh bernal uh gail garcia bernal he's fantastic in the lead i really cannot say enough good about how much he knows exactly what it's supposed to be like that's the thing the acting in this is even a blast um i love that the main villain of it is harriet sansom uh harris a legend of 90s comedy. Uh, if you watch 90s sitcoms, she was all over them. I love that she's in it. <sighs> this is just, this is a good one. And yeah, you don't need to, But if you do know the 70s Marvel horror comics that it's trying to evoke, and I'm a big fan of those, oh my God, it's such, it's so perfect at evoking them. And again, I love that it's short. I love that I can tell someone without hesitation, watch this, and because it's only 50 minutes, you're not going to regret the time. So highly recommended. It's on Disney+. Plus. They're looking at doing more of these special presentations. I want them to. Yeah. Uh, the next one will arrive in December, and it will be a holiday special yeah. for the Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, yay. Mm-hmm. More Chris Pratt. Yeah. I'm, just choo- I'm choosing to focus on the happy that it's more James Gunn. That's, that's what I want. That's what I want. Having said that, I am, I am looking forward to the Mario movie for it Jack looks gorgeous. Black. Yeah, it for does. Jack. It looks great. How many things? How many things has Jack Black done in the last in his career where it's like, well, I'm looking forward to it for him. <laughs> also, also, I hope Luigi carries the movie because I also like Charlie Day. I do too, and this is going to be it, it, the fact that they're looking to bring in some of the Luigi's Mansion stuff into it Are excites they? me. Yeah, it's in the trailer. Oh, shit. Yeah, they, it looks like they've got a little bit of that in the trailer. Um, okay, now I'm real excited. <laughs> I will say. The one that if they really and truly figure out what they've got with her, they might actually have some fun with it is what will happen with Peach because it's Anya yeah. Taylor-Joy. And yeah. their internet, take notice, I pronounced her first name correctly. You never mm-hmm. hear that said correctly. And yeah. if she, yeah, if you get, if she gets the chance to run, she is a phenomenal comic actress who mm-hmm. never gets to do it. When she hosted SNL, it was like, wait, you could be doing <laughs> this with your career? Wait, mm-hmm. what the hell are you doing? You have this skill? It was almost <laughs> enraging how good she was at comedy. Oh, wow. And it, it, it also changed my opinion of her because she's such an odd-looking porcelain creature that it's like, oh, you know, almost off-putting. And then when you watch her do comedy, it's like, wow, you're actually really natural and comfortable in your own skin. I did love her. Do this more! I did love her in uh, Last Night in Soho. Yeah. she did yeah. really good in that. Yeah. I will say the casting of another character related to her that is mm-hmm. a gigantic epic spoiler for the movie was really uh-huh. good. Albert knows exactly what I'm talking about. I think so. Uh, which one for um for for the- for that movie for that movie. So yeah, so um next time we'll figure out something next time. We have several casts we keep meaning to do, but we are hard up against time, so Mhm. Okay, our opening and closing music is Glasses by Jonathan Colton using a Creative Commons 3.0 license. Uh, You can give us our socials, tweet at us. We are at the Omniplex on Twitter. Please like us on Facebook. Uh, Like like us, interact with us, facebook.com slash the Omniplex podcast. You have a question for our show? Have a suggestion? You know, have any comments? Love mail? Hate mail? We'll take it. I mean... You don't have to send the hate mail, but okay. Uh, our email is theomniplexpodcast at gmail.com. 
subscribe to us, rate us on any platform you listen on. It helps. So, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, this has been it. All right. Later. Y'all have a good week. Go watch movies. Yep. See you in hell. Yep. (laughs) So much to say, I forget to start. There goes a day as it passes. Forget the fail and fall apart. It's okay. A boy played by Elijah Wood gets fed up with his folks in that scene from North and decides that since they don't pay attention to him, he will divorce them and go looking for a new set of parents. And that's the setup for one of the most thoroughly hateful movies of recent years, a movie that makes me cringe even when I'm sitting here thinking about it. I hated this movie as much as any movie we've ever reviewed in the 19 years we've been doing this show. I hated it because of the premise, which seems shockingly cold-hearted, and because this premise is being suggested to kids as children's entertainment, and because everybody in the movie was vulgar and stupid, and because the jokes weren't funny, and because most of the characters were obnoxious, and because of the phony attempt to add a little pseudo-hip philosophy with a Bruce Willis character. Now, I think Elijah Wood is a fine young actor, and of course, Rob Reiner, the director, has made one terrific movie after another, so I prefer to consider North as just a very unfortunate aberration in these otherwise admirable careers. Well, I mean, I think you got to hold uh, Rob Reiner's feet to the fire here. I mean, he's the guy in charge. He's saying that this is entertainment. It's deplorable. I mean, it's, there isn't a gag that works. You couldn't write worse jokes if I told you to write worse jokes. And, of course, you could always... The ethnic stereotyping is appalling. Yes. It's, it's embarrassing. You feel unclean as you're sitting there. Mm-hmm. It's junk. First-class Junk. And then the idea that kids might be lured in by television ads to see this movie oh, about a little child who, you know, throws away his parents right. and goes shopping for a new set. It's really... Any subject could be done well. This is just trash, Roger. Okay.